welcome to the latest episode of EG Like Sunday Morning. And this week I am joined by the team supreme of Deputy Editor Tim Burke and News Editor Pui Guan Man. Welcome to you both. Oh, hello you. Hi. How are you? How are you doing? What's the week been like? It's been good. It's been busy. Sorry, that was a, a pregnant pause. <laughs> That was me. I was trying to point at you on the screen to say you could go first, but it didn't work at all. Oh, Sorry. I thought you were putting your hand up to go. OK, <laughs> OK. But the week's been OK, hasn't it? It's yeah. been su- it's been sunny until this moment. The week has been OK. The week, it was going well. <laughs> it was. Now let's uh, send it hurtling off a cliff uh, with the ET's <laughs> like Sunday morning. So, um, uh, Tim, let's start uh, with the word of the day, uh, and uh, well, maybe let's make that the word of the last year or so. Uh, unprecedented. Uh, you've been counting real estate's lockdown losses, and, and that is the word that keeps cropping up, isn't it? Yeah, it does. So we'll start with the losses and then we'll move on to the unprecedented bit, shall we? Um, so over the last few weeks, we've all been we've all been writing about the latest sets of accounts from all the big listed real estate companies and they have a lot of them have made really tough reading and so now that we're kind of coming towards an end of earnings season we thought let's get a snapshot of just how tough it's been and so we've tallied up all of the losses that real estate companies and REITs and the FTSE 350 have posted in their latest sets of accounts and it comes to almost seven billion quid And then we also tallied the cumulative losses to their portfolio values, and that came to 8 billion. So it is a thoroughly depressing picture of what the events of the last year, well, I suppose longer, sort of 15 months or so, have have done to real estate. I think there are two, I think there are two talking points that come out of this. Well, I think there are more than two, but there are two that I wrote about. So those are the ones that that I'm going to talk about now. Um, I think it shows the support that that real estate needs, particularly as we're we're waiting to find out how the government government is going to unwind the commercial rent and eviction moratorium, which uh, Pui's been looking at this week as well. And so Melanie Leach, chief executive of the British Property Federation, um, took a look at these statistics that we put together and she made the point, and quoting her now, for, for every pound lost, whether that's income or asset value, we have a pound less to support the government and our communities in recovery. It's time for ministers to stop taking our sector for granted. Um, so I think it, it shines a real light on on just how tough this period's been for the real estate industry and what support it needs. But uh, a second point, that there are hopes now that things are looking a bit better. So I spoke to a few analysts who cover these real estate companies uh, in the investment banks, and, um, uh, and they pointed to I guess silver linings is the wrong term, but maybe some signs that a corner has been turned. So Kieran Lee, who covers these stocks at Berenberg, um, made the point that a lot of the valuation losses that we saw were skewed towards the first half of the last financial year. And that was at a time when there were very few deals happening. Valuers really couldn't get their heads around what was happening. And so a lot of those markdowns were driven by valuers just just taking a guess basically at what these what these properties were were valued at he thinks that now if we start to see an economic recovery you're actually going to get a pretty sharp rebound in valuation so um so i don't know reason to be cheerful um cautious optimism insert the cliche of your choice but uh, it, it feels like people are hoping a corner's been turned now 
Fingers crossed. And uh, Tim obviously mentioned we're, we're fast approaching the end of the moratorium. Um, what, uh, Pui, is the, the, the latest on, on rent arrears and, and, and what are people looking for uh, to happen next from the government? Um, yeah, so this week there's been, well, I mean, there has been for, uh, you know, a, a little while now, there's been a kind of war of words happening between um, the, uh, you know, uh, property owner voices and um, retailer representatives, you know, as we're all awaiting a decision uh, from the government on whether the moratorium on commercial evictions and debt enforcement will be um, extended. I mean, the current ban at the moment is due to lift at the end of this month, but, um, you know, the, the government's been carrying out a consultation to see whether or not, um, uh, you know, what the next steps are. Um, and, you know, retailer representatives such as the BRC have been lobbying hard for an extension. Um, and the BRC has said, you know, two thirds of retailers face legal action once the July deadline lifts. Um, and UK hospitality boss um, Kate Nichols gave evidence to Commons um, and called for landlords to share the pain by writing off 50% uh, of rent debt, rent debt, excuse me, um, for closure periods. But, um, there are some new figures um, from the BPF that suggest that actually there's been more collaboration than what's been made out to the public. So, um, you know, landlords and retailers are collaborating more than people might think. Um, they looked at 16,000 leases across a mix of smaller and larger landlords and found that actually 77% of all rent, rent owed since March last year has either been paid or agreed through, um, you know, new payment plans or waivers or, or rent holidays. Um, and this means that 23% remains unresolved for the for the time being. Um, quite tellingly, the findings show that 14% of those leases um, represent retailers that are refusing to engage with landlords. Um, mm. And the BPF said that these include some well-capitalised retailers that have been trading through lockdown and that extending the moratorium means that this select few um, can carry on, you know, taking advantage of the situation um, at the landlord's expense. Um, and as Tim mentioned um, before, um, you know, on, the, on our own findings, you know, there's also a concern that the government just re isn't really understanding the impact of the moratorium on the property industry and what the industry contributes to the wider economy. And, you know, that investment that's underpinning the recovery of, of the UK's town centres. So the BPF estimates that, um, that you know, property delivers 63.3 billion, I think it is, um, in, a, in capital investment and um, 116 billion to the wider economy. So, um, you know, those are, you know, big stats. I don't think, I'm not sure if, if the public's really aware of that. So it will be interesting to see whether the government will factor these new findings into its decision-making. I mean, certainly from the landlord perspective, occupiers are already largely collaborating and that mm. extending the moratorium will only allow, you know, that select few to keep uh, to keep taking advantage of the situation. But um, the public has always sided with the more sort of directly consumer facing, you know, mm. retailer and hospitality types. So, you know, I guess the industry can only hope that the government has sort of, that this catches the government's attention and that it can understand, you know, the position um, of, of the industry. Um, yeah, <laughs> sorry, with, I was with, a bit of a ramble. <laughs> no, no, with, with, all, with all the experience, uh, with the government thus far, I'm guessing that is is much more hope than expectation. Yeah, I I I, I think so, but you know, you you never know. I, I don't know. 
um, either way, I'm, I'm sure we'll be, uh, you know, we'll be doing many more of these podcasts when the decision is out. So, um, you know, watch this space, yeah, I guess. We'll revisit the topic then. Um, yeah. uh, another topic that uh, is uh, showing no signs of going away is the the, the uh, endless debate over working from home, returning to the office, what's going to happen. Um, uh, and Tim, you've, you've, you've written about that again this week uh, with some, some new research. So, so what's your sense of the, the current sentiment? Yeah, a um, couple of interesting surveys on this this week. So um, JLL has found that a, a growing proportion of people are saying that they don't want to remote work when you know when the when the pandemic is is fully passed. Um, it's a minority, but it's it's thirty three percent up from twenty eight percent when they did the same survey last October. So still a minority of people that are saying they wouldn't want any sort of home or remote working um, after this period. But interesting that, that there does seem to be a growing proportion of people who are who are maybe tiring of that or feeling that they're no longer as as productive as they might have thought they'd be when when we went into this situation. And then Savills today put out some results of a, a really a really large survey that they've done, 100,000 clients across UK and Europe, and they found that two out of three said the office is, is in their view, these were these were employees of, of client companies, two out of three say the office is still a necessity, but there were some interesting differences between the answers they got from different sectors. Mm. So there were sectors that were, um, that were clearly in favour of the office that the leading one there was manufacturing where more than three quarters of respondents said yeah having a having a physical office is an absolute necessity and then there were a group of sectors where um where respondents were a bit more skeptical and so the uh, the sector in which people were the least likely to say we think an office is a must-have was technology so only 50 57 percent of respondents in that sector said you've got to have a physical workplace, which is interesting, um, as Savills pointed out, given that tech companies have been such eager takers of new office space in, in recent years. But there, there could be a feeling there that um, that maybe employees aren't feeling quite the same way about the office as um, as decision makers at the companies themselves during these dare I say it, unprecedented times. <laughs> and I say that because I realise I didn't talk about the use of unprecedented earlier. I promised I promised it and failed to deliver, didn't I? <laughs> you did. Do you, want, do you want to give it a go now? Why don't I give it a go now? Um, so while I was busy trawling through all of those results statements for, um, for our story on the losses this week, I thought it would be a bit of fun as well to look at which real estate companies had trotted out the COVID cliche, unprecedented, the greatest number of times um, in their results statement. I think it's been it has to be the biggest cliche that's emerged from this period, other than saying trends have been accelerated by the pandemic. I think it would have to be a toss up between um, between those two. So there, there was a lot of variety here. Again, I sort of went through all the REITs and real estate names in, um, in the FTSE 350. Uh, some of them managed to find... Um, you know, a, a broader vocabulary here, only one usage of unprecedented in Landsex results, for example, versus uh, versus five at Capco, but two stood out. IWG used it seven times in its latest results. Um, it, it peppered throughout them for both good and bad reasons. So the challenges of COVID were unprecedented, but, um, 
but so were the growth opportunities for the business. So it was just it was it was all over the place. Maybe it was meant to balance out. And then London Metric was way ahead of the curve. So not only was London Metric using unprecedented throughout the past couple of years to describe the events of COVID, but it was using it back in 2019, long before it got so trendy to describe the ramifications of Brexit, lease negotiations, low interest rates, you name it. So I, I, I don't know, IWG takes the crown by um, by number of uses, but Lon- London Metric, London Metric was all over unprecedented as a buzzword long before um, anyone was worrying about the pandemic. A pretty, pretty impressive usage from those guys. Did you search how often it's been used on EG in the last 12 months? I knew that you were going to ask this, so I searched how many times I'd used it. <laughs> and I have used it, oh, crikey, this is bad. I've used Unprecedented 29 times since since late 2019. So only a couple of those were outside of the pandemic. But all but three of those were in quotes from wow. company yep. statements. But the, the, thing I'm, the thing I'm particularly embarrassed of here, but remember, I'm telling you this, so you can't make fun of it because you wouldn't know it if I didn't say it. <laughs> I once quoted a company's use of unprecedented as a single word quote, which, I mean, must that, that could be a disciplinary matter. I'm not sure. We'll have to We'll have to look into it, but 29 is my tally. That's uh, some impressive time you have spent researching that. And I feel like I've got a much better insight into myself. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not you're not going to use it for for the next month. I do I need to see I need to see what everyone else's tally is first? <laughs> I might put some time over the weekend into this and come up with a proper scoreboard. We should do this with more words. I think this will be it's fascinating insight into uh, Stop, yeah, yeah, EG's editorial team. <laughs> so, um, what else has Property's finest news team been up to this week? Um, well, in other news, um, Twenty Two Bishopsgate uh, is getting an influx of, of new occupiers, as our London correspondent uh, Alex Daniel reports. Um, it's, so it looks like a promising uh, time uh, for, for the city. There's there's some very chunky deals in there. I mean, combined, those three occupiers took up around um, five and a half floors, which is collectively around 130,000 um, square feet under offer. So some welcome news, I think, for the for the city market. Um, and um, in the courts, which actually I think you, you're better placed to talk about this than I am, Jess, really. But um, there was a, a campaign group's bid to stop Delancey from proceeding with its two billion regeneration at um, Elephant and Castle has failed. So um, the 35 percent campaign uh, challenged Southwark Council's decision to allow, um, I think it was about 970 homes, 980 uh, BTR homes on the site. But um, the judge ruled that the council um, would likely have failed to convince the developer to increase uh, the social housing at the scheme. I mean, that one's been really closely watched. So it was quite a big um, development this week. It is very, very difficult to succeed with that type of challenge. So not necessarily a surprise that it was not uh, successful. Uh, Pui, the more you've gone on about the week's news, the more confident I am that you are going to nail this forthcoming quiz of the week. Because, of course, last week, last week you were knocked off the top of the solo leaderboard by none other than Sam McClary with a perfect round. She scored five out of five. Uh, never been done before. 
Will it ever be done again? Who knows? But <laughs> maybe today you can match Sam's five out of five. And I, I'm definitely confident with you on two of them. After, oh, after okay. your news <laughs> so not 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 wanting to spoil anything but uh let's go in with the quiz so uh if you fail uh, i'll throw over to tim maybe you can steal a point so if you if you fail catastrophically there is every chance that tim could get five out of five uh, okay but we'll give you first crack so what is the former debenhams on edinburgh's famous prince's street going to become um, it's going to be a hotel and rooftop bar, I think. It is. Yes. How many stars? Uh, four. Well done. It's a four-star Marriott Tribute Hotel. Is uh, That's what's uh, lined up for that building. So, uh, can you name the three companies flocking to be EG's near neighbours by taking space over the road at 22 Bishopsgate? Um, yes. You have to give me a second, but yes. Um, I think it is. Was I, hope there... that, I hope that isn't a second to, to quickly find <laughs> the, quickly... the news story on your screen. <laughs> no, no. So um, I think it was one of them was Fidelis. I don't know if I'm saying it their is. name. Fidelis, uh, an insurer with um, a pleasingly one... Latin name. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. Um, and then another, I think, is a Korean development bank. But I don't it know. Is if that's the Korean thing. development bank, no less. Oh, is that? The name of the, the well, conference. I, I certainly hope so. Oh, okay. Oh, good. Because I thought that was where <laughs> I would trip up, but that is in fact what it's called. Brilliant. Okay. Um, and the third is um, <laughs> um, is a law firm, uh, Scadden, Art, Slate, Meager, and Flum. Oh wow! You got the whole thing. You. Oh, that's got to be. That's got to be a bonus point for that's the full amazing. This is, So this is their second appearance in the quiz of the week because I think I quizzed uh, Alex. I think it was Alex about them uh, a few weeks ago, and, and he could only recall uh, Scadden, uh, which I'm, I'm guessing most people call them. But wow, you 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 did the whole thing. I, I have a sneaky advantage. I um, worked at Legal Week um, as one of my first jobs, so that's that's where that comes from. <laughs> you, you have you 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 know every single law firm with every single partner. Never leaves you. Never leaves you. <laughs> okay, question three. You'll, you'll breeze this one. The development of which regeneration scheme has survived a court of appeal challenge? Oh, the Delancey's um, Elephant and Castle regeneration. Project. Correct. OK, question four. The missing words round. Uh, this time we've got a partial headline for you. Can you fill in the blank? We should think of towns as blank of buildings. We should think of towns as blank of buildings. Oh, no. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh no this is where sam gets to keep her crown i think um <laughs> looking like it we should think of towns as um blueprints no tim do you know is what's it, missing is it devoid is it from someone who just wants to <laughs> get rid of all of that, wouldn't that be great if someone someone wrote a comment for us saying we should think of towns as devoid of buildings wouldn't it isn't it i i I think it might be. Have you? Have you? Are you going with it, Pui? Or I uh, what? Devoid? Is it? No, 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 no. <laughs> are you going with an answer? I think I know what it is. If I can see. Uh, I don't. I actually don't know. So Tim, I will throw it to you. Is it families? It is families. Isn't that a nice? Isn't that a nice sentiment? Uh, this is the, the comment piece written by Michael Whitley, head of development at Landy. Uh, towns are families of buildings that have a relationship and a dialogue with each other. 
And I, I think there's there's definitely a children's book idea. I was uh, thinking that. I was just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly animated series deal, the whole shebang. I'll work on the story. You could you illustrate it and we'll split the we'll split yeah. the proceeds. Brilliant. Mike, Michael Whitley doesn't get a penny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, question five. Uh, the diary question. Uh, the naming of a square at which city centre regeneration scheme has been thrown open to the public in a competition? The naming of a square at which city centre regeneration scheme? Is is it something to do with Chester? It is. It is Chester. indeed something to do with Chester. Hmm, um, oh no! I think Tim Chester, knows which, the answer. He's, he's... It, it, well, I mean, I, I I would give you the point for just. Chester, but there is a specific specific oh. name. Tim, Tim, can you? No, I was going to say Chester it's, too. It's Chester Northgate, but I, I think oh, Chester, Chester gets Northgate. the point. But I, I think possibly that makes Chester the single most mentioned town in EG like Sunday morning, apart from London by this point, Tim, do you think? After, I haven't been, that's a, this is after something after else we start keeping track of. After the Photoshop. Um, yes. So... Yeah, it's Chester is is doing well out of diary and EGLSM. So four out of five. Consistent. You know hey, what you're gonna I'll get. Take it. I'm gonna happy get with that. But maybe, maybe that five out of five one day. And uh, next time you're on Tim, uh, we'll we'll put you to the test again and I'll I know I'll, I'll pick out a special legal question just for you. Deal. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, that doesn't leave as much time. But Tim, uh, what do we have coming up on the EG podcast channel this week? What don't we have coming up on the EG podcast channel next week? More like um, all your favourites, bricks and mortar, future leaders, um, your own law and borders and an auctions special coming up all before uh, another EG like Sunday morning this time next week. Fantastic. Adding to our 1000 plus podcasts already available for for further listening pleasure uh thank you very much uh for joining me on this very very hot day you have been listening to eg like sunday morning <laughs>